welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford and Woking in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Good morning. It's a real privilege to be able to come and share with you this morning. As you would have just seen from Pete's little intro video there, we are carrying on our Strange Lands series, which Pete started for us last week. Uh, This series is how we might explore the universal experience of exile as the people of God, looking at how we can survive and even thrive in seasons of disorientation, disappointment and doubt. And the title for this week's series is Strange, uh, for this week's episode is Strange Temple. Strange Temple. Our core text for this series is the Lament Psalm of 137, and today we're going to be looking at verses 4 to 6. And they say this How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. And so in being exiled from Jerusalem, the people of God faced a difficult theological quandary. Up until this point, God's presence had existed in a location, the the promised place of his presence. The fire led them in the wilderness. It engulfed Mount Sinai and it eventually came to rest on the temple. God's presence had a physical habitation. But then in exile, the temple was destroyed and they were carried away from Jerusalem. They could no longer gather as a community in the promised place of his presence. So the rabbis and the religious leaders were faced with this difficult question. How do we know? How can we trust that God is with us? Or more specifically, how many of God's people need to be gathered for us to trust that God is in our midst? Right? And I wonder if maybe you're watching and you've had a similar feeling in the strangeness of this year. And you've wrestled with a similar question. Maybe not theologically as they did, but emotionally and spiritually. Do I really feel like God is present? Or maybe do I feel that God is as present as he was last year when I had the opportunity to gather with God's people in worship and fellowship? Well, the rabbis came up with this thing to answer that question that they called the minion. Now, that isn't the minion like you would know from Despicable Me that's coming up on the screen. Not that type of minion. That's not what we're talking about. They came up with the minion, M-I-N-Y-A-N. And basically, they decided that it was 10. Not exactly sure how they got that number, but they decided it was 10 people. If 10 Jews, 10 of God's people gathered together, they could trust that Jesus, that God was with them. And that's important because uh, this is the theological, cultural landscape that Jesus comes into. And so we're going to read a story now where Jesus uh, talks about the temple and he talks about worship. But have in your mind this, this kind of theological landscape that Jesus is speaking into. 
We're going to go to John 4. It's a story, so it's a slightly longer passage of scripture than we normally do. It's about 20 verses, but please do read along in your Bible as we go through it. So John 4, verse 4, it says this. Now he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he, ta- came in, uh, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from, it his, drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back to draw water. He told her, go and draw your husband. No, wait, sorry. Go and call your husband. Uh, The husband wasn't in the well at that point. Go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers that the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I am the one speaking to you. I am he. And we'll stop there. This is a deeply profound encounter with Jesus for a number of reasons. And obviously he speaks directly about temples and about worship. And we will get to that in a second. But first of all, some context. Time and place are so important to this story. It's Samaria and it's noon. Noon is not the time that women came to draw water for the day's work. They came in the cool of the morning, ready and prepared to carry out the day's chores. So why is she there at noon? Well, we find out later it's because she is a reject, an outcast from her society. This uh, this string of sexual promiscuity has made her a reject. This trail of husbands, and now she's living with someone who isn't even her husband. 
And so there's three reasons why Jesus, this upstanding Jew, should not be speaking to this woman. First of all, she's a Samaritan. Secondly, she's a woman. And thirdly, she's a moral outcast. And Jesus doesn't care one bit. He doesn't just speak to her, but he offers her a gift. And he offers her this gift of living water. And what he says is special about this living water is that if you drink this water, you will never be thirsty again. So I feel the key question for us today is what really is this living water? And how do we also get to drink it? Well, I don't know if you noticed it, but it's important that in verse 10, Jesus makes a promise to this woman. He says, if you had have asked, I would have given you living water. Right? A promise from Jesus. Well, what does she do in verse 15? She says, sir, give me this water. Jesus says, if you ask, I'll give you. And five verses later, she asks. And what does Jesus do? Well, at first glance, it might seem that he sort of steps out of his promise. He sort of deflects. He kind of backs out. But I actually think that what Jesus does, even in this strange way he answers, is honouring the promise he's made to this woman, but in a totally different way to what she expected. He says, go and bring your husband. What has that got to do with living water? Well, I believe that in that question, he actually exposes the deepest thirst that the woman has this trail of broken relationships that demonstrate this deep thirst, this kind of soul thirst in the woman. The inner emptiness that she keeps trying to find refreshment for, but the same old wells just won't quench it. And it's to this place, this deep soul thirst, that Jesus wants to bring this living water to bring refreshment and wholeness, a living water that leads to eternal life. I wonder today, do you know where you might be thirsty? We all know when our body gets dehydrated, you get a parched throat, you get dry lips. It's these warning signs of dehydration. But let me ask you, do you know what you feel like when your soul is thirsty? Do you know what the warning signs are that you experience when your soul needs refreshment? When there's an emptiness, when there's a lack of contentment inside? And maybe there's areas that you've been thirsty for a while. And if you're honest, in those areas you keep going back to the same old wells. But they just aren't touching those deeper places. And you know the nature of these things is sometimes they do actually refresh for a while. They bring momentary satisfaction, but they force you to keep coming back because they don't sustain and they don't really bring life. And it's probably fair to assume that for all of us in this year of disorientation and disconnection, pain and questions, there's potential for our souls to be thirstier than ever. I don't know whether you're fearful about the future and you keep desperately checking the news to try and regain some sense of control. Or as Pete warned us about last time, you are feeling lonely and you're trying to satisfy that soul thirst with pornography. Maybe you've just graduated and the prospects of a career feel like they're dwindling away 
and you numb that by just sitting in front of social media or Netflix, or you're fearful about money and you realize you're not as generous as you were this time last year, and you keep checking your bank balance just to regain a sense of being in control of where the world is going. The truth is, we rock up with our buckets to a thousand different wells to try and quench our thirsty souls. But the problem is that they just make us more and more thirsty. Apparently, the average person in the UK only drinks 53% of the daily required water content for a person. 53%. So that's about half of how much water you should be drinking. And apparently, a 1% drop in our body's total water content negatively affects both our mood and our cognitive ability. But what's interesting is it takes a 2% drop for our body to start feeling thirsty. And at this point, when you start feeling thirsty, you are already in a state of dehydration. And you're not thinking straight and you're cranky about it. At that point, when you're thirsty, 2%. And so in this unusual state of sort of exile that we find ourselves in, unable to drink in the same old way we used to, cut off from that muscle memory that we used to rely on, how can we make sure that we are digging our own well? How are we making sure that we're cultivating our own source? Or to use Jesus' words, how do we make sure we are drinking from this living water and encountering this living God? Well, let's carry on in the story, because I think that this is the woman's question too. She gets theological with Jesus. She says, do we worship on this mountain or on that temple or in Jerusalem? And Jesus says, well, right now it's the temple. Right now it's Jerusalem. But, Jesus says, the time is coming and it has arrived that you won't need the temple anymore. But real worshippers will worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus is prophesying a time that is coming where worship won't be about where you go or what religious hoops you jump through. But worship will break out of the walls, break out of the boundaries. Jesus knows that he is about to do something that will change things forever. And actually, if you're reading the NIV here, it's easy to lose something profound in the translation. In the NIV, it says that the time is coming and it has arrived. The time is coming. But actually, a better translation isn't time, it's hour. And so in the ESV, for example, the actual word there in Greek is hour. Now, why is it important? Well, whenever John, and we're reading in the Gospel of John, whenever John talks about Jesus' hour, he's always referring to his crucifixion. Always. Whenever Jesus talks about the hour that is coming, or my hour that is coming, what he's referring to is the moment of crucifixion. Well, why is that important? Well, what does Jesus cry out on the cross? Jesus cries out, I am thirsty. When Jesus' hour comes, he cries out, I am thirsty. Why? Because Jesus crying out, I am thirsty, means that we never have to cry out, I am thirsty, ever again. Jesus experienced that thirst that we might never have to. 
So what John is proclaiming in this story, it's the gospel. The gospel is that because of what Jesus accomplished, we never have to feel disconnected or thirsty again. That life source, that living water is always available to us. It's the presence. The presence of God is always with us. Earlier we talked about the minion, M-I-N-Y-A-N. This group of ten that guaranteed, that made it legal that God's presence would be with his people. Well, when Jesus says in Matthew 18.20, where two or more are gathered, there I am with them, what he's doing is he's doubling down on that statement. He's saying, you thought it was ten? It's not even ten. Two. Wherever two people, wherever two of my people are gathered, you can guarantee, you can know that I am there in your midst. And then Paul later, the other side of the cross, in 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, You, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit dwells in you. Ten to two to you. Ten to two to you. The presence of God has burst out of its habitation in the building and it's found its habitation in you. So our churches are closed and our souls are are thirsty, but God has promised that he is with us. And we have to be drawing from this living water, creating wellsprings in our homes to access this living water. You know what? My prayer is that if there is one, my prayer is that if there is one good thing to come out of lockdown, it's a new passion for holiness in the home. Hannah and I were chatting this week. Thea, our daughter, is just about to turn two and a half. And we were working it out. She hasn't been in a gathered worshipping community. She hasn't been with the Emmaus Road community in a service for over 10 months now. That is a third of her life. A third of her life. And so we took time intentionally to sit down and work out ways that we can sow spirituality back into our home and back into our routines. How are we making sure that she is worshipping, that we are worshipping, that she is praying, that we are praying, and we're hearing from the scriptures and we're learning about Jesus. And so we have started playing more worship songs in our house. My God is a great big God. I know all of the actions too. Now, um, we have brought more kids' Bible books. Her personal favourite is Mary and Martha at the moment. Um, and we ask her to pray, like she prays for us. We practice Thanksgiving over the dinner table with the people who live with us. And that's our context, right? Like we are a, a family. But whether you're a student or in a house share or you live alone or you're the only believer in a house or you're an empty nester, whatever your context, how are you digging your well to access living water? I want to invite you, like maybe you stumbled on something brilliant, like stick it in the chat that we could learn together as a community. What are you doing right now that is sowing spirituality back into the home? Let me tell you, gathered environments are essential and important. Theologically, relationally and missionally. And I can't wait to be back in them and not having to speak to a camera, but gathering with my brothers and sisters, the Emmaus community, and worshipping together and learning from the scriptures together and being in fellowship. I can't wait for it. But... If we are not careful, our gathered environments can become the place where we try and bottle living water. 
Maybe we try and access someone else's well. But on Sunday, we take our bottle and we try and fill up with living water. And then we ration it through the week, getting more and more dehydrated until we can go back and fill it up again. While all the while, Jesus sits in our living room and says, I am still right here. What I love about Paul's letters to the Ephesians and Colossians is that he spends half of it talking about these kind of cosmic gospel glories. Jesus crucified, devils overthrown, empty tombs, sins forgiven, God's abundant riches. But then he spends the second half talking about relationship and work and conversations and time management. And the greatest time he commits and focuses on is spent on the Christian home. That's what he talks about most in those letters. Because to Paul, the tomb was always meant to transform the living room. The tomb was always meant to transform the living room. He doesn't go from mountaintops to the mundane. He exalts the mundane to the mountaintops. If there is one thing to come out of lockdown, let it be a new passion for holiness in the home. New innovation, new practices of sowing spirituality into our everyday existence. New wells being dug in our homes and with our families and those that we do the most of our life with. Drawing on this living water. Richard Foster, the famous Christian author, puts it so well. Often the genuinely significant issues are decided in the small corners of life. Often the genuinely significant issues are decided in the small corners of life. And so, at the moment, we all feel a sense of disorientation. We're grappling with disappointment and doubt and fear. Let's be honest, our souls are thirsty, and that's okay. But let us make sure that we are drinking from the right wells. And so I'd love to make some space for us to respond right now. I'm going to invite um, Josh to come back up here. And as I, was, um, as I was planning this talk, I was really drawn to uh, the final detail that John puts into this story. John's the writer who said that if he tried to write down everything that Jesus did, all the volumes of the earth would not contain it. And yet he includes this strange little detail at the end of the story. He says, she left her bucket. She left her bucket, and we know that she went and became an evangelist. She arrives a reject. She encounters Jesus. God brings living water into that deepest soul thirst. She leaves her bucket at that well, and she goes and becomes an evangelist, grafted back into the community. And I felt this morning, just as Josh started, that this isn't just another Sunday of going through the motions, but God is saying that there are some places, if you are watching, where there is a grace right now to leave the bucket at those same old wells that won't satisfy. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to start revealing to you right now what they might be for you. As I was praying, I got a picture. Um, you know, we prophesy in part, it could be wrong. But I had a picture of someone who, maybe you're thinking about buying a car, um, in my head, it's a red car, but that might just be a detail. And I felt like the Lord said, like, be careful. Don't buy a car for the wrong reasons. Now, obviously, you work that in community, talk to a trusted friend, but I felt like that was something the Lord was saying. But like I mentioned earlier, there is a thousand different wells that we can turn up at. Um, Josh. Thanks, Ed. Uh, 
there's lots in that to uh, to work out and to um, just take to the Lord. And we're going to have a moment where we can worship and uh, just take some of those things that have affected our head and heart and just take them to the Lord and let him speak to us about. But we do have uh, a prayer team that are available and the link for that is uh, kind of on the screen. It'll be in church chat and there's a, a team that would love to pray with you. And um, just if you're working out, if you want to respond, then there's two things that I felt. So we've got the word from Ad there about the car. The two things that I felt is, one is you feel just, you actually feel really dry at the moment. Yeah. You are really thirsty, but you actually feel just like challenged by what Ad's saying. And you just need to get some prayer and just to get encouraged about the fact that actually like you specifically can have an encounter with the Lord without anyone around you. Yeah, I feel cool. like maybe you've been in venues and you're like, I, the reason why I love going to church is because I kind of enjoy the fact that other people can like open up the that moment, that venue, and you almost like, I see you like surfing the wave, and the wave's been created by like the congregation, and you like don't really know how to like maybe crack it open yourself. Uh, and I just feel like God's just wanting to say, like, I want to encounter you even by yourself. And I uh, see so you almost like putting on some worship music and dancing by yourself. Yeah, um, and it's the other good. one I got is as you hear like Ad talk about the way that Adam and Hannah and Thea. Um, have sort of like got intentional about um, creating like the family home as this place where like God can encounter um, them is you hear that and you almost you feel like oh that sounds really great but you almost feel a little bit intimidated by that and I'm mm. suppose I'm like speaking specifically to parents and I think single parents as well is you recognize that there's a responsibility for your voice to be significant in this but you almost feel like your voice has been drowned out and almost like YouTube feels intimidating because your kids go on that or screen time feels intimidating you don't really know how you don't really feel like encouraged to lead in this and I just feel like God's wanting to encounter you to almost like anoint you and appoint you to like lead in the home again and um, if that is you and you're just like, man, actually, I really speak to us, then I just want to encourage you to like, log on to the, to the prayer room. There'll be people who would just love to encourage That's you good. and pray for you Amen. in that. Shall I pray to lead us into worship? So, amazing. Yeah, I had the privilege of praying with three people as part of the prayer ministry team last week. So mm. do log on. It's obviously strange, but it is powerful. Um, really felt like the Lord spoke to those that we were praying with last week. So please do go on that if you'd like. But I'm going to pray. Um, lead us into worship. Lord Jesus, I thank you uh, that you sit on the corner of the well. (laughs) Lord Jesus, that just like you encountered this woman, Lord Jesus, that there were so many reasons that you shouldn't have spoken to her, but you didn't care about them at all. Lord Jesus, and that you offer her a gift. Thank you, Lord, that those places that we so often go to that don't really sustain us, we thank you that you are so often stood at the side of them saying, Look at me. I'm right here. And Lord Jesus, that promise that you extended to her, if you just asked, I would give you. God, I pray for everyone watching this, that they would have the confidence to know that that promise still stands. Lord Jesus, you still honour that promise today, that all we have to do is ask, and that you will give us living water that will bring us eternal life. Lord Jesus, we love the gospel. And so right now, Lord Jesus, I pray, even in the disconnection of people in their own home, Lord Jesus, I pray that in this Emmaus Road community that you would ignite a new passion for holiness in the home. Mm. Lord Jesus, that we would be Christians the whole week through, Lord Jesus, encountering your goodness, encountering your glory, and drawing on the living water. In your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Amen.